Hello, and welcome to the 14th episode of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, and I'm coming to you from relatively sunny uh, San Francisco, California, although I will not be coming to you from this location much longer. Uh, I will actually be heading down to Los Angeles, moving down there the first of the month. Uh, so after 19 years of living in San Francisco, uh, it's time for a change. Uh, really excited for the move. Uh, we're moving our Zen Sports headquarters down there. I'm personally moving down there and uh, really looking forward to it. Um, so I know it's been a couple of weeks since we last have done an episode. Uh, lots going on in the sports world that we need to uh, catch everyone up on here. Um, so we'll first start with kind of what's been going on in the sports world with regards to baseball, NFL, NBA, talk a couple things that talk about a couple things that we're working on here at Zen Sports, uh, and then get into um, our awesome guest that we have on today, with, uh, who is uh, Jeff Eisenbahn. So uh, in the sports world, so we got the MLB playoffs that kicked off last week. Uh, my Brewers uh, uh, did what was to be expected, and they got swept uh, 2-0 by the Dodgers. Really wasn't close. Uh, and to be frank, I'm not really sure why they allowed eight teams into the playoffs this year. I think it was like a lot of other things that they experimented with a test uh, to see if that made sense. Uh, my take is no, it doesn't. Um, I think five teams really should be the limit there um, as evidenced by this. I will say that the play-in uh, for the playoffs, uh, the wild card round, having that be a best of three is certainly better than a one game playoff. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they go back to next year. Um, I think when you're playing a 162 game season, assuming they can get 162 games in, I think it makes a lot more sense uh, to have a, a fewer teams that make the playoffs to make the season more meaningful and uh, probably to have a best of three. Um, there's other formats that I've talked about on other podcasts that I think are better than that, but they probably won't do that. So we'll just have to live with what we have. Uh, NBA playoffs. So the Heat, Heat, uh, Heat made a statement and coming back uh, to win game three. Uh, I actually think they've got a chance to win game four, but I think it'll be interesting to see you know, if Davis bounces back uh, he was pretty much a non-factor in all of game three after getting uh, in foul trouble early. Uh, so I, and Jimmy Butler just absolutely going off and having a game for the ages. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers respond. I mean, they're clearly the more talented team, but I have to say that Jimmy Butler, when he's on his game can, you know, go toe to toe with really pretty much anybody in the league. And I think he's got a better cast of uh, characters in terms of shooting uh, from the outside. And so obviously if Hero and, and Robinson are shooting the three ball well, you know, they can still be a force, a force to be reckoned with. I actually give the slight coaching edge to the Heat as well, too. I think Spolster's a better coach than Vogel is. So, anyways, should be interesting game four tonight. Although, by the time this podcast uh, goes out tomorrow, uh, we'll already know the results. Um, but those are my early thoughts there. And uh, my Packers continue to dominate. That was a great performance last night. Uh, and dismantling the Falcons with our top two receivers out. Um and I'd also have to say, I think it's really uh, interesting kind of, you know, with the whole COVID situation that the NFL, uh, you know, is just able to move full steam ahead, right? So obviously, you know, Cam didn't play, you know, in last night's game and they moved the game from Sunday to, to Monday, but really for all intents and purposes, missing without a beat. And I think they've, they've got a really good handle on, you know, how to deal with this. Uh, clearly baseball had the same issue when they first started the season, uh, in uh, kind of dealing with some, uh, you know, issues with regards to uh, some teams testing positive, but they, you know, forged ahead. And uh, I don't see the NFL having any, any issues long-term with this. Uh, sure, they may have to squeeze in a week 18 uh, or something to that effect, but um, they're going to get the season played. Uh, too much money at stake and, and the fans want the season to go on. So uh, while they may have some bumps in the road and some hiccups, overall, I see it, see it being no problem at all. Uh, Zen Sports, which is the sponsor of the podcast, uh, we've done some pretty cool things as well in the last few weeks. Uh, we hosted our most recent esports tournament. Uh, it was with the game Zonotic a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> the champion was Dodger. Uh, we had 16 players, went really well. Uh, we had Twitch integration that we completed shortly before the tournament. So people were able to actually watch the live stream, both of our Zen Sports esports announcers, uh, Jacob and uh, our other uh, announcer that we had. And then uh, also we're able to watch the live streams of the players, which is pretty cool. And of course, follow along with the bracket. So I know we're gonna be doing another one of those tournaments later this month. Um, not sure which game yet. Uh, we're still planning that. 
Um, but that's pretty cool that uh, we're really getting some pretty good traction in that front. Uh, and then we also uh, uh, brought back our daily fantasy sports uh, uh, in time for football season. So we, uh, Zen Sports, while it's not a, the core focus is not on the daily fantasy sports side, we do offer daily fantasy sports uh, for the NFL. And so with the NFL season having recently kicked off, um, we brought that back and we are doing daily contest on that uh, or weekly contest on that every single Sunday. Uh, so check that out. Uh, so uh, without further ado, uh, uh, enough of the monologue, let's move to a really awesome guest. Very excited to have him on today's uh, podcast. It is none other than uh, Jeff Eisenban, who has been doing, honestly, a, a lot of different things. So I'm really excited to have this this conversation. Uh, he's been announcing NBA 2K League games. Uh, he's part of MSG Networks, um, part of Golf. Recently, uh, was on uh, one of the PGA Tour uh, in studio broadcasts. Uh, very excited to have him on, Jeff Eisenband. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much. Yeah, glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So you've done a lot of Super interesting thing. So it's kind of almost a little tough to say, hey, where do we start? Um, but why don't we just for the audience give a rundown of kind of your background, bio, history with regards to all things sports announcing uh, and or all things esports uh, and kind of bring us up to the present day or the present uh, last few days where you uh, did some um, uh, broadcasting and studio analysis for the PGA. Uh, and then we can dive into some specific topics from there. Yeah, um, I'll try to give it. A, I'll try to get it as concise as possible. But um, I'm 27. You got time, Jeff. You can go in as much detail as you want. <laughs> uh, I'm 27 years old, so that gives people just an idea of kind of the timeline. Um, but you know, from there, I would say that I started. I went to Northwestern University for the Medill School of Journalism. Uh, was doing a lot of Big Ten sports broadcasting there. Obviously, football, basketball. Um, I was doing everything and, you know, this is the advice that I give to young, to kids, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. So I was calling field hockey, volleyball. I spent my freshman year shadowing the wrestling broadcaster. So then that I could, uh, I could then broadcast wrestling starting my sophomore year. So, uh, that was what I was focused on. But when I was in college, I had my head on a swivel a little bit and saw the world of digital media really growing. This is, I was in college 2011 to 2015, I always tell people uh, at the beginning, my first quarter, I was on, I was on a trimester schedule. My first quarter freshman year, fall 2011, the, my journalism professor said it would be smart. You know, we suggest you make a Twitter and by 2015, when I graduated, there was, you could, you know, pick Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you could basically take a class in each of those categories. So that was how fast things were changing. I really focused on digital media. I ended up, um, I was freelancing well in college for a website called thepostgame.com. I covered the Super Bowl in Indianapolis when I was a freshman. Uh, I came home, I covered an NBA All-Star game in New York, the middle of my senior year. So I was really into that. And I went right into the digital media world as an editor, writer, podcaster, interviewer, whatever was asked of me right out of college. Um, but I definitely always had this broadcast bug and it was esports that gave me the opportunity, uh, getting involved with the NBA after a couple around 2017, a couple of years out of college, I broadcasted some NBA 2k tournaments for them. When the NBA 2k league started, I said, Hey, you know, I, I want to be involved any way you could, I could get involved draft day. 2018, the first draft, they basically said, we'll give you a microphone, walk around, see if you can interview anything and we'll repurpose some of the content. And from there, I was hooked on that. And, you know, esports has given me so many opportunities, especially in the NBA 2K League to um, be a sideline reporter, be a play by play commentator, be an on desk host, color commentator. I've done so much uh, within the NBA 2K League. And then it's expanded my horizons back in the traditional sports space. I've done a ton of uh, betting and fantasy content for MSG networks in golf and in hockey, uh, doing pregame segments recently for Devils regular season games. And then for the Islanders run to the Eastern Conference finals, I did a segment there. And then 
as you mentioned, the latest big thing for me was last week I made my debut on PGA Tour Live, which is the digital platform for the PGA Tour. Basically, any content that isn't on linear television is on PGA Tour Live. And on Thursday and Friday, I was one of the hosts for that just uh, just a few days ago. So would you say that um, for those that are maybe looking to break into broadcasting, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot of, um, you know, I don't want to say horror stories, but like difficulties of getting into the industry, right? Because you can't just all of a sudden start broadcasting, you know, for uh, ESPN or ABC, you know, in major games. Do you think that the right path is to maybe take a little bit of a diversion and do something like esports broadcasting or like local broadcasting to kind of work your way into it? Um, because that's certainly a unique path and definitely something I've never heard of uh, being done before. Um, so for those that are looking to break into it, would you recommend doing that? And do you feel like that's actually set you up, you know, well for success as you try to get into or as you go into other types of broadcasting? I think that the last part of what you brought up was you've never heard of that. Is that the right path? I think that that kind of lends <laughs> to the answer that there is no, no right answer. Um, I think for many years in whether it be sports broadcast, news broadcast, reporting, the template was always go to a small market, earn your stripes there, and kind of bounce around until you get to the top market that you want to get to. And I think that social media especially has um, lent, has kind of stopped that and allowed you to be able to have your platform. And that's why you see younger people getting opportunities that maybe they wouldn't just because of the old guard, because it's so hard to hide. If you have a successful 24 year old out there, who's lighting it up on social media, someone's going to hire them. Uh, and I think that that's changed the game a little bit. I have a lot of friends from college who went into broadcasting minor league baseball, minor league sports, you know, kind of uh, different, smaller market, localized sports, local sports uh, newscasters. And I I looked at the landscape of things. Like I said, I went to digital media in college and I said, I just don't think that's the way for me, at least where I want to go. I don't think that's the route. I don't think that the way that going to be, with all due respect to the people in Bozeman, Montana, you know, going and being the mm -hmm. sports reporter there, I don't know if my work's going to get in front of people that way. And so I was very focused. I'm a New Yorker. I'm from New York. I wanted to be in the thick of things. So many sports media companies are based in New York. I wanted to be around there, uh, you know, having the opportunity to mingle every night. Basically, I got a good opportunity because the NBA 2K League was based there. And that's where the, you know, all regular season games were played the, the first two seasons. But I, I think that I try not to look at it as this is. I think once you start looking at something as a stepping stone, that's when it's, it becomes a slippery slope that you're not putting 100% into something. So I've had people come up to me and they're saying, oh, you know, cool, you're doing esports. That's like, uh, you know, your way to get to the next level. I'm like, I don't want to look at it that way. You know, I, I'm going to focus on what's I'm going to have. Yes, I'll have an eye on where I want to be going. But I also need to be focused on what I'm doing in the short term and be as successful as possible here before I can move on um, to the next area. And I think that esports was something that maybe I wasn't necessarily didn't have circled while I was in college. But for me, as 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 like I said, a 27 year old who's played video games my whole life, who is in that video game culture casually with friends and who understands it and who understands the value and connection with traditional sports it has, that was what really pushed me to get in. And it has, I will say it has given me those on air reps that I wouldn't get elsewhere. Yeah. And I think you touched on a really good point, um, which is, you know, the old adage, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's so true, right? Because the reality is, is if you're only focused on doing some work right now, as to what that means for your future career or your next job, you're probably not going to put the type of passion into it that you would if you just really in the moment loved what, what you're doing. But at the same time, you go into what you're doing right now, knowing that if you're loving it and doing a great job at it, that it will give you that experience for whatever does come next versus, you know, kind of that checkbox stepladder career. Okay, well, I'm a, you know, a director of finance, and then I'll be a controller in three years, and I'll be a, a, a CFO three years after that kind of thing. This is, you know, I, I actually think, because I actually used to own a recruiting agency many, many years ago, you saw many more kind of quote unquote stepladder careers, whereas now people kind of take varied paths to getting there and they focus on their passions first versus maybe what it'll pay 
or exactly what the next step will be because they recognize that if they just do something great and are passionate about it, that others will recognize it as you talked about and they will then be able to be better at that and whatever that means in terms of setting them up themselves up for the next step, that that will be that kind of stepping stone that allows them to get there regardless. Um, so it's really refreshing to hear you say that because I'm in 100% agreement with that approach. Well, I think it's just, look, people say so many negative things about social media and things along those lines. You know, it's also allowed us to advance, especially in media, quickly and identify talent. And, you know, it's not just talent from a from a public facing standpoint, I think that you're seeing a lot more jobs behind the scenes, just the way that people are able to portray themselves on LinkedIn. Uh, there's a, just what we would call a lot more horizontal movement in the industry. Well, there used to be mostly only vertical movement. You know, used to, someone right. gave me this, when I was in college, a mentor gave me this example that people used to go to Bristol, Connecticut, and they used to say, all right, I'm going to work the next 30 years of my life for ESPN. And now people work at ESPN and they realize that maybe that's too, they're taking too long to work their way up there. So they bounce to somewhere else. And then other people are doing a successful job somewhere else that they move over to ESPN. So it, it just, it's different modern. And I think that colleges especially have had to adapt and start giving base their students, especially in the journalism industry, different advice than they used to. Well, and, and so that gets to a different point, a little bit off topic, but I'll bring it up is that because there aren't like things like pension plans anymore, and there's no loyalty, right? I mean, ESPN a couple of years ago laid off, you know, a lot of people, right? And because of those dynamics in today's workforce, um, the loyalty really only exists as long as both sides are happy kind of in the moment, right? And so there is a lot of that horizontal movement, um, regardless of really kind of what that means from a compensation or a pay or otherwise. So sure, of course, everyone wants to be compensated well, but you're right. Nobody's going to sit and say, well, I'm going to work at XYZ company for 30 years and then collect a pension and retire and do all that kind of stuff. That's just, that's just the old way of doing things that people, you know, I mean, millennials and Gen Z and Gen Y, they're certainly not doing that. Um, and they're doing what's best for them here and now, as long as it simultaneously gives them that experience for whatever they want to do next. So I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I want to actually, so you touched, you touched on the benefits of social media. And I, I think this is a really interesting topic. So uh, one of our investors in Zen Sports, Jason Kalkanis, he has a very you know popular podcast, uh, This Week in Startups. And he actually just started a new podcast with uh, some of his uh, poker buddies and also uh, uh, fellow VCs and, and very famous angel investors. And one of the things that they had or touched on one of their uh, topics recently was uh, specific was social media in general and specifically uh, Twitter. Uh, so... I think one of the things that I found interesting, and I kind of debate this with my friends, I'd love to get your take on this, is I love LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is my favorite social media network because everyone has their true identity on there. They act in a reasonably well, civilized way. Well, 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 <laughs> uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. No, continue. Okay. Well, I would say this. I would say everyone acts in a mostly civilized manner on, on LinkedIn, especially in comparison to other uh, social media platforms. Whereas I think Twitter actually kind of ends up being the opposite because there's so much anonymity. Uh, but obviously it sounds like you disagree. So I'm happy to, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I think that LinkedIn, I think, look, I think LinkedIn does have afford people outside. I, I work, I'm a front facing journalist, right? I, everything I do is public. Twitter to me is incredibly important because it's my opportunity to get out information and, you know, report in a way that uh, you can't really do anywhere else. Uh, you know, I think Facebook has become very personalized. That's the approach that Facebook took. Instagram's become very photogenic and less uh, new. You know, I, I understand there are some news sources that do well on Instagram, but not personal uh, news influencers. With LinkedIn, I think you're right. I think that I always tell my friends and people in sports business and people that aren't in those front-facing jobs, this is where LinkedIn is the place where you can showcase what you're doing shamelessly. Like there's no, there's no, it's okay to talk about the projects that you worked on that might be boring to the vast majority of people, but you just want five people in the industry to see what you're doing. So I think LinkedIn's incredibly important there. Look, I think that LinkedIn has and all social media platforms have their problems that people, you know, I know people who are quote unquote, they, they, they consider themselves inspirationalists is what I'll call them on mm -hmm. LinkedIn, that they're posting all of this advice and inspiration 
and they haven't really done anything. Like they've realized <laughs> that they'll get likes that way. So I think that that just that. And look, you have that on Twitter too. You know, you have people who post all of these this advice. And especially if you don't know people personally, you can easily just think, oh, this person's, you know, it's great. And they're just copying and pasting quotes or things that they heard from God knows where. But to me, the biggest opportunity on LinkedIn is to showcase yourself to the to a micro-targeted audience. I, I you can put something out on LinkedIn and it might get 12 likes, but it's so micro-targeted if three of those likes come from people who might hire you or actually see what you're doing has value to them, then right. it's incredibly, incredibly important and something that you shouldn't feel any shame in just getting 12 likes when you've accomplished the task that you want to get out there. Right. But then that has to, so then if we look at the flip side of that with Twitter, where there's obviously lots of anonymity and we'll just be honest, lots of trolls too. I think there you can get a much broader audience, which I agree with you hundred percent, but I do also feel that some of the vitriol and, or some of the, um, just, I, I guess, yeah, anonymity is probably the best word for it can rear its ugly head if you let it, or if you go down that rabbit hole, right. Um, whereas if it's just purely being used for a platform to reach the widest audience, then I would say Twitter's the best for that. Yeah, I think that, um, yes, Twitter has its trolls. I think that, um, and this is where I take for granted sometimes the fact that I, I had a journalism education where we talked about how to use Twitter. The, the, mm -hmm. What's gone on in the world the last few, few years, the way that Twitter and social media has spiraled out of control, I, my, my social studies classes in like middle school, we went over first person, right? Primary sources and secondary sources. And I thought we're wasting time with this every year. We get it. Primary source comes from the actual person. Secondary source is secondarily reported, but apparently a lot of people need to learn that because <laughs> so much of Twitter is relying on secondary sources and not worrying about clicking in and finding the primary sources. Uh, so I think that's that's a big problem with Twitter. I think people, I, people, I, my friends come to me and they're like, oh, I, I get so stressed when I'm on Twitter. I'm like, if you're using Twitter in the right way, if you're following the right people that you'll only get legitimate sources right. coming at you, then it then it could be the most informative to me satisfying thing. Now, what you talked about from a personal standpoint on Twitter, uh, Twitter has the most viral potential by far. And I don't know if if everyone understands that, that you can post something on Twitter and that's your best chance of going viral. I think it's because people see Instagram likes and Instagram influencers, but it's very hard for a one-off thing to go viral on Instagram. So, you know, I, I feel like so many artists, for example, young up and coming artists who do niche work, spend so much time trying to get their work on Instagram and trying to grind their Instagram following. And I'm like, you're missing out on Twitter where people are going to love this and be sharing it all over the place because no one's really sharing anything from Instagram. Right. And I think the thing, yes, I don't actually use Instagram. I just use Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I think one of the interesting things that you brought up with regards to um, uh, Twitter and being able to uh, you know, go viral is the fact that anybody has access to it. At the same time, you yourself curate your lists so you're not dealing with all the yeah trolls or you know the spam accounts and all that kind of stuff. I agree with you. If you if you either stick to lists or you stick to um, you know certain followings um, or and if you're blocked vigorously, etc. Uh, I think you can really tailor it to be an amazing experience. I just watched the Social Dilemma a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think one of the interesting the the one takeaway I had from that was our brains as humans were not meant to deal with like 10,000 different voices coming at us at once with different opinions. But if it's curated down and you can really fine tune that to like your top hundred or whatever it might be, or top 500, maybe even then it then becomes a different story. Whereas if you're just letting any old Tom, Dick and Harry respond back to you and you feel the obligation to respond back to them, then that just becomes, I mean, that, that's pretty overwhelming, right? So it sounds like you've really got that process down and then you're able to take advantage of the network that it offers while at the same time simultaneously not dealing with some of the probably BS that you would otherwise. Well, you, you shouldn't be responding to people. Like it, that's where people go wrong right away. Like don't worry about responding to trolls. Half of them are probably robots anyway. Um, 
And then right. the other thing, like people, uh, I have some friends who are like, where are you? I'm sending them in my group chat with my friends. I'm sending them links all, you know, tweets all day. And I'm sending, where are you? How are you? Who are you following to find this stuff? I'm like, I just use the search feature nonstop throughout the day. I'm like, oh, this is, or like, this is trending. I keep going using the hashtag feature, the moments feature on Twitter right now and just seeing what's, what is trending right now? What is the news right now? And that's, that's where you can really take control of what you're doing instead of just happening to run into things that maybe were retweeted by this one obscure friend that you're following from high school. Right. No, totally agree with all that. Um, so let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to get into uh, some of the sports betting side of things since, uh, you know, mm. it's obviously a huge, huge opportunity here in the U.S. Uh, with the uh, uh, striking down of PASPA uh, about two and a half years ago. Uh, we're at about 20 or so states that have legalized sports betting. Uh, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings are taking off like hotcakes. Uh, even Zen Sports, you know, now we're uh, expanding into the U.S. here. So this is a big part of what we're focused on uh, as well here. So what has that evolution looked like for you um, over the last two and a half or so years as sports betting has gone from this very, let's just be frank, taboo topic uh, in the U.S. to being not only not taboo, I mean, you see it plastered all over, you know, the NBA finals, BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel. Um, so it's it's really interesting, I think, to see that. What has that evolution been for you, your career, some of the things that you've been working on uh, with regards to sports betting? So let me tell you something that I I left. I was working, as I said, as an editor for the post game uh, from... I mean, I was freelancing when I was in college, but really I was working as a full-time editor from about August 2015 to, to November of 2018 was when I quit my, I quit my, I don't want to call it a desk job because I was going out and around, but it was, it was too desk job for me and it wasn't even a desk job. Um, and I knew that I'd created enough contacts that I felt like I could go freelance, uh, freelance uh, broadcast talent as, you know, focused especially in the New York area. And I knew that I had the NBA 2K League stuff was kind of the first thing up. But I told people I circled three categories. Esports, which I was already doing. Golf, which we touched on earlier and was something where I thought, I love golf. I watch it every week. It's what I, I feel like it might be my, my strength. And on top of that, golf is always looking to find younger talent. So here's an opportunity right. for me to jump into a space that I'm already almost like an old man about that. I, it not, not in terms of the way that I talk about it, but the fact that I'm already interested in it at you know 25 at the time. Um, and I want to lean into this. And then the third category was fantasy and sports betting because I said, look, and remember that you said two and a half years. This is about, I'm talking about, you know, 20 two months or so ago, where I said, here's such a growing space that's going to be covered in so many different ways. I already talked to my friends all about this. It's kind of a stay away topic for a lot of older people in media that they just feel like it's it's taboo. It's not taboo for me. I've been playing daily fantasy and fantasy my whole life. And I said, yo, this is something that I really want to focus on. You've seen it, just that everyone wants to include it from a broadcast perspective. And like I said, I... Um, I did so I did every Devils every New Jersey Devils game this year on MSG plus I taped a one minute segment talking about uh, it wasn't opinionated but I basically break down the, the FanDuel sportsbook lines for that day uh, for that game and talked about uh, the background details on it you know if it's mm -hmm. goal if it's total goals I give here are the goals you know goals for averages for both teams you can take this how you will and then I show up for PGA Tour live last week and they're like we're gonna need you to do two DraftKings sportsbook re reads each day can you like do you understand I'm like yes I, I basically was doing this every uh <laughs> do you and I and it? I you just, know everything about it <laughs> uh, yeah and I had just done the Islanders for so I they moved me over to the Islanders which by the way is interesting because the reason I was doing the Devils at first is pretty obvious right MSG Networks carries the Rangers Islanders and Devils but the Devils are the only New Jersey team by the time the playoffs came around, the Devils were out. They said, we want to do the Islanders, who went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. And you obviously still have fans watching in New Jersey, which is the big time sports betting, you know, mobile sports betting state in this in this country. But so I do the PGA Tour read last week when I have to do. So PGA Tour Live is featured groups. So we did the winner, three players in each group. We did the odds to win each group. And I'm done. And 
one of the other hosts says, you really, it, that just rolled off the tongue for you. I'm like, I literally was, I've done this, you know, uh, 80 times in the last, for the, for hockey in the last year. So I think that you're seeing in every sport and it's, 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 it's getting closer and closer to the point that in, you know, two years, it might be maybe even less. It'll be every major sport will have some sort of sports betting feature, some sort of sports betting sponsor in every game broadcast. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, and to take that a step further, uh, you know, having, you know, been in this industry and this is what we do, you know, as, as a company, I mean, I definitely even foresee, you know, being able to toggle on or toggle off, you know, a ticker at the bottom, uh, with all the upcoming bets, uh, that are happening in game, uh, to be able to scan with a QR code, a bet that you want to accept, um, et cetera, right. It's going to go even beyond just the sponsorships. Eventually it's going to get to the point where you can interact with the broadcast well, uh, it, and create and accept bets. It's going to get to a point, as you know, which which they have in the UK and Australia, where you're going to be able to watch things within the the broadcast. Yep. You know, so you can be on the DraftKings or FanDuel sportsbook app. They'll you know they'll create their own exclusive partnerships, and you'll be able to watch the uh, tennis match taking place in you know New Zealand that you're betting on in yeah, the app. Ex exactly. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Well, and th that's why I'm saying there's going to be. I think there's going to be a mix and mash of of the content. So you'll you can see the the content and the broadcast in the app, or vice versa. If you're the casual fan watching it, you know, traditionally, you know, via cable or via uh, Hulu or whatever it might be, you'll have it there. So it'll be vice. It's got to be vice versa, right? Because you'll have some people who are more casual who won't be in the betting app, but they are just watching the broadcast, and you'll have the more kind of hardcore or even semi professionals that might be in the betting app and want to watch it as they go along. So I think, I think it's all going to just be super, super intertwined. Um, and you can already see the writings on the wall as you, as you talked about, which is, which is, you know, really cool. So, so along those lines um, on the opportunities of sports betting. So clearly, you know, the U S moving full steam ahead, which is great. Um, so I want to talk about it a little bit on the, on the esports side of things. So for example, like when Zen sports, we launched esports betting a few months ago, we've seen that really uh, proliferate and take off. What is your opinion of the combination of esports and betting and what that looks like over the next two, three, four, five years? Yeah, so I get asked this a lot. And sometimes my opinion is not what people want to hear, but it's it's honestly how I feel is that there's kind of this feeling. We like on this podcast. <laughs> well, there's kind of this feeling of, okay, so at the beginning of this pandemic, you know, people who can't can't bet on the sports that they would be betting on you know, basketball, hockey, baseball, um, golf, tennis, you know, things that would have been going on, not football yet, but the people can't bet on this. So maybe they'll move over and they'll bet on league of legends or they'll bet on overwatch league. They'll bet on call of duty league. And I think there was a short burst, but the problem that you have there that people need to understand is Sports fans betting on tr what we call traditional esports is not a long term thing. And that's because the, you know, avid football and basketball fan doesn't understand what's going on when they're watching League of Legends. And maybe they might bet on it just for fun a couple of times, but they're they're just not going to get into it because the, the the demographic of people playing League of Legends, playing Overwatch League are not the same as traditional sports fans who are betting on other things. That doesn't mean that those hardcore League of Legends fans don't want to bet and don't, you know, know their feel like they know their sports their esport well enough that they feel they can make some cash betting on it. But the idea that it's the same people, I think is naive. I think that you will see when sports video games beyond the NBA 2K league, I think that as sports continue to roll out uh, sports video game esports, I think that's actually where there's more opportunity to get sports fans involved who actually understand can turn on an NBA 2K league game or a Madden game and say, okay, I understand the objective here and I can casually watch this and bet on it and feel like I know what's going on as opposed to watching something that I just don't know what the heck is going on. So, yeah, so I mostly agree with that. Um, obviously, you know, an NBA two game, 2K game, you know, pretty closely mirrors, you know, regular NBA games. So the rules, you know, how it's played, uh, et cetera, I understand, obviously, it's video game characters. So that's the big difference there. Um, but wouldn't, couldn't it also possibly be said that one of the big hurdles with regards to esports taking off in general, not just betting on it, but taking off in general, is just the lack of, like, 
you know, kind of broadcasts and uh, content that's available and that's out there. I mean, it's just not easy to find it, which means it's not in front of people's faces. Ergo, you know, they're not comfortable with it. Ergo, they're not going to put their money on it to bet on it, right? So I think doesn't it all kind of come back to if esports can find a way to start really having some more mainstream kind of broadcasts and content beyond just maybe say Twitch, or maybe Twitch becomes a proliferated much bigger content network than it is right now, that maybe that's where esports can really kind of, uh, you know, go beyond just its niche among gamers and really explode into the public eye. I think somewhat, but I think that you're not going to get most 30 plus year olds to ever care about League of Legends. You're just like, it's just not going to be something that they do, something that they care about. And I think that you're seeing, you know, you're seeing it with Venn now uh, and Cheddar Esports tried and a lot of different, um, you know, organizations have tried to create general esports content and it's been hard. And I think part of that is because esports viewers are so young and they're more active viewers than, say, middle-aged traditional sports fans who are going to sit back and say, hey, you've got to bring the content to me. I think that you've got, look at the TikTok generation. Look at, you know, I think there's just more of like, I'm going to go into a YouTube rabbit hole or I'm going to find things, the content that I want. Um, you know, it's the same way that I feel like with my family sometimes they don't want to watch Netflix because it feels like too much work for them than watching linear TV. When if you go to a 16 year old, they're like, why the heck would I watch linear TV when I don't get to pick and choose what I want? Uh, so I think that, you know, I think esports part of it from a content perspective and from a betting perspective and everything is a long term investment in that the 20 year olds are going to become 30 year olds in 10 right. years. And the average age of esports enthusiasts and esports viewers is going to continue to to get uh, older that way than you know just just uh figuring out how to how to commit it how to convince people who didn't play you know video games just aren't in their same sort of ethos getting them to commit to it in the same way i do think look yes there needs to be more as with anything there needs to be more content for people to get interested but i just don't know i think that that there was too much in the early days of an emphasis of trying to get people who don't play video games and who weren't as actively interested involved as opposed to just focusing on the people that are interested and the people that you can start to grow to be fans for for years and even decades. So maybe maybe it could happen. It's just going to take some real considerable time, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. But maybe there can be some you know, more adoption of it once the 15 and 20 year olds become 30 and 35 year olds. Sorry, say that one more time. So you're saying it it definitely won't happen in the next two or three years, but it could happen in say 10 or 15 years as the 15 and 20 year olds become 30 and 35 year olds. Yes. I think that, you know, the, the nightly primetime television, which won't look like what it currently looks like, but you know, you'll have more people watching casual esports lifestyle shows or, you know, there'll be esports reality shows. There'll be there'll be esports news shows that are just more more um, you know, appeal to a greater audience and a more mainstream audience than they do right now. But I think that's more of just gonna take be over time as opposed to being uh spread right now to people who are just not going to become fans. Right. That all makes a lot of sense. And, and so I want to use it as a good dovetail to kind of talk about something uh, similar over in the Gulf world, since you're clearly really passionate about that. Um, you obviously, you know, did the uh, in-studio broadcast last week for um, the, the tournament. Uh, which one was that? Was that the... Uh, it was Sun- the Sanderson Farms Anderson Championship. Farms. Yeah, that was awesome. So first of all, how was that? How did it go? And then I have a couple of questions for you after that. I I, I mean, it went great. It was something that I've been... Uh, you know, working toward for for a long time. It's funny because the amount of people in you know certain worlds. We talked a little bit about the beginning about how I touch on so many different um, areas. Like people in esports, like wait, you're interested in golf? Like who is interested in golf and esports? And people in golf are like, wait, you did esports? You know, it's right. it's such a funny sort of thing in that way. Um, it went really well from a, a level of, you know, I, I think that I've been preparing for a long time for it. Like I said, it was very natural for me. I've watched so much. I've imagined myself doing it so much. Uh, golf has its 
it's, you know, perks and being able to, you, sometimes you talk and then you can sit out and it's a little bit slower from, you know, it's not like hockey. If you've ever called hockey where you got to be on your toes every second and <laughs> new players are coming, you know, that each team is rolling 20 deep and you're trying to barely see the jerseys and trying to recognize the way that players are moving. But, um, you know, it went really well. And, and it's funny because one thing, uh, we had a guy on site um, and the PGA tour was experimenting with some things. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it takes a second for that guy on site to recognize what's going on. And they're like, you know, if he's not talking right away, don't worry. It might take a second. And I'm like, I've been doing remote esports broadcasts for the last six months over, um, you know, different forms, um, different for different broadcast forms that, like, I'm just used to that, you know, it's you, waiting and, and knowing that someone might be on a delay. And I think that's a little bit of the future of broadcast that there's going to be so much more remote that you might not be able to look someone in the eye, but you're going to be able to understand that they're still there talking to them. Yeah, I've always wondered how hockey announcers can just keep up with everything. So uh, the Sharks are the only Bay Area team I root for. <laughs> Uh, since there never was a hockey team in Wisconsin, go figure that. And so I've listened to Randy Hahn all the time and I'm just, I'm just amazed. I'm like, how the hell does he know every single player? Like when you can't see the back of their Jersey or whatever it might be. And the puck is moving so fast. I mean, I thought basketball for the longest time would probably be the hardest to broadcast. And then I started getting into hockey about five years ago and I'm just, I'm, I'm actually pretty amazed at that. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, so golf is a lot slower and I, so I want to kind of, you know, kind of talk about that. So, you know, what is your take on golf's future, right? So it clearly, definitely the demographic skews generally older. Um, and, you know, some kind of things that I hear sometimes is that golf sometimes has a hard time, you know, picking up the younger demographic. Uh, you know, do you agree with that? If so, what do you think the PGA is looking to do about it? If you don't agree, why? Because um, I'm really interested to hear like what the future of golf is. I don't follow personally golf that closely, um, but I'm really interested to hear more about it um, from someone as passionate about it as you are. So first of all, a quick plug, I'm moderating a panel on it for advertising re week on Thursday called the resurgence of golf. So if you want to really dive into this with some, uh, some people that we're doing that on Thursday. Um, so I mentioned that I write that I, I felt like I was young and I wanted to, to, uh, go really deep into golf because I found it as both something I'm passionate about and something that they're always looking to get younger and, and, uh, grow, grow the sport that way. And I think that golf finds itself in a really interesting place. And the numbers have been up for the last few years. And there's a few reasons. First of all, from the on the course reasons, Tiger Woods was down and out and looked like he was never going to play golf again, barely played in, uh, in really, I guess, 2016 and 2017. And then 2018 has this unbelievable comeback um, that really gets people back into golf that, that maybe were more, maybe casual fans all of a sudden want to watch again because of tiger. And there's just so much enthusiasm and sponsors are doubling back in. And on top of all that, the PGA tour has this opportunity to showcase its other talent uh, because tiger is still 44. He's not going to, he's almost 45. He's not going to play forever, but there's a prime opportunity here for the PGA tour to show off all of its younger talent who are also you know, different, a guy like Justin Thomas, who people on this podcast might have no idea who the heck he is. He's been around the top five in the world the last few years. He's the type of kid. He showed up at college game day last year. He's an Alabama grad, grad in a bomber jacket and was making, you know, college football picks and having fun on set. He's the, the cover boy for PGA tour 2k right now. He wears polo. He sometimes wears Ralph Lauren hoodies on the course. Um, you know, he wore a Kobe Bryant high school Jersey right after Kobe passed away at the waste at the waste management, uh, Phoenix open last year. And he's just, he's just an innovative kid that there's a bunch of those in golf. And so there's an opportunity here to, to shed a little bit of that old school private country club, uh, image of golf and promote these younger guys who have fun on the course and golf, uh, has this opportunity to be a more casual sport that you can do with friends. And it's just not as stuffy top golf deserves a lot of credit for what they've done. They've basically just taken a driving range and made it cool. They've made it like a bowling alley, but for golf. And I think that you're just seeing so many more opportunities 
for for golf in that sort of way and then betting on top of all that sports betting and fantasy has fit golf so much better than so many other sports partly because why does football work best for for betting well because it's it's every week it's once a week that's all you have to worry about is is on sunday where you just have to worry about these one-off games it's not like some other sports like baseball for example being the biggest where everything comes back regresses to the mean over a few days you know it's not just betting on one-off baseball or one at bat is so hard compared to something like football and golf is every week thursday to sunday it's going to be the same time i think there's there's 50 tournaments this year over the course of 40 something weeks almost every week you know it's happening you know it's the same format you know what you need to do and i think that's helped the game tremendously yeah. So do you think the PGA or any other organizers are going to allow for some of that fun to, to, to be shown or showcased, right? Are they going to, you know, the whole uh, thing with the NFL being called the no fun league for so long, cause they, you know, banned a lot of touchdown dances, uh, penalize them. And then eventually in the last few years, they brought them back. And I think it's of course added a lot of, uh, you know, really great elements to it um, because it is after all, at the end of the day, entertainment, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those that are watching, do you think, Maybe maybe they won't be allowing people to do dances per se, but do you think they're going to allow some of those, you know, off the course personalities to start showcasing themselves while golfing or where do they draw the line uh, versus, you know, what, you know, maybe some players want to do versus what they'll allow to, to just make that element more exciting and fun for the casual golf fan? Yeah, I think you've seen a, a few different ways that this is kind of is being shown already. I think that golf attire, for example, has been some in that you're seeing, uh, you know, basketball sneakers repurposed as golf shoes. I have multiple Air Max golf shoes now. Um, I think little things like that add to the culture. Uh, at the U.S. Open a few weeks ago, obviously there were no fans, but there was a great image of Matthew Wolf, who ended up being in second place. He's, uh, I want to say, he's 21 or 22 years old, uh, second year kid out of out of. Uh, he's 21 right now, out of Oklahoma State who a uh, former NCAA champion who was wearing, who was on the phone right before teeing off in the first tee, people were making memes. Like he's talking to his mother or something, but like old school golf culture is no phones, no cell phones right. and I'm, and cell phones haven't been around that long. So I'm talking 10, 15 years ago, you know, no cell phones, turn, turn your cell phones off. I mean, the masters doesn't even Augusta national does still doesn't allow cell phones technically for patrons but this guy's on the first tee taking a call and i think it's little casual things like that that make the sport more inviting to people who you know don't just want to see a guy in a plain shirt and khakis uh Mm. telling everyone to be quiet uh bryson dechambeau who won the u.s open is you know bulked up something like 50 added like 50 pounds during this pandemic and is trying to use science and you know help for everything scientific about him, the way he does every angles, the way he's crafted his body protein shakes. It's just so much different than what, than what's used to have gone on. And you're seeing the PGA tour lean into it a bit. You're seeing in the content that's posted, it's much more, the language that's used is much more inviting to young people and making things cool. And then on top of that, like we mentioned in the last year, the, uh, the betting influence, the, you know, the, the fantasy influence, the betting influence, the fact that they're incorporating it into broadcasts like PGA Tour Live, the fact that they allow uh, players to now be sponsored by um, the, by betting companies, the fact that tournaments are allowed to partner with betting brands is incredibly important. I think that PGA Tour has always been uh, innovative in sponsorships, uh, and, and I think that we're not that far away from the DraftKings Open or the FanDuel Open or the MGM Open being an event on the PGA Tour. Well, they signed a deal with PointsBet in August uh, to be the official betting operator. That's um, on top of, I, I believe there's there's something like three to four brands that are now right. official betting operators. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think DraftKings also signed a deal with them uh, as well, too. Uh, one other quick question about golf. So one of the things that like uh, I listen to a lot of Mad Dog. So, you know, Mad Dog compl- <laughs> was complaining the other day about just the you know, just the amount of, you know, driving, you know, how far they can drive it now. Uh, you know, I played a lot of tennis growing up and one of the things that we kind of, and I also was a big into bowling, both sports had issues where the equipment got so good that people could just, I mean, they could just shoot 300 in bowling or they could just, you know, hit, uh, you know, 125 mile an hour serves due to the equipment. Do you see like a possible 
uh, change in some of the equipment allowances that whether it's the ball, the clubs, whatever it might be to reduce some of that, or is, is the PGA like welcoming this? Do they, would they prefer it the way that it currently is? I think that the PGA tour is welcoming it a little bit more than the players probably are. I think there's some players that look around at what Bryson's done to his body, uh, especially for distance and the way he crafts his clubs at different angles. And they're like, well, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. Um, I think there are ways to craft golf courses to adjust to what's going on. You know, I think that, I mean, look, uh, there were, when you look at like 1920, the U S open was played on the same courses that it's played on today. The courses, uh, obviously the, the equipment's adjusted. The courses have adjusted. There's a property problem. People joke about Augusta national that they had to buy the, I believe the neighboring golf course to create more space, uh, so that's a little bit of a problem, but I think that you're going to just continue to see, uh, golf courses adjust. I think that, okay, the guy, you know, a guy can drive it on average 10 to 15 extra yards. Well, we need to tighten the greens or mm-hmm. we need to create better pin, pin placements or put a bunker here or do things like that. I think, uh, golf might evolve into a bit more of a finesse game in that you'll be, cha- you know, they'll, they'll be challenging players okay you can hit it this far well we're going to put all this trouble here so you need to decide if you really want to hit it this far if you want to take out a three wood or a five wood and and put your drive there um i think that there's a lot of there's too much complaining about it i think that the game will continue to adjust as players and equipment adjust um but i don't think it's something that the golf world wants to flag as a problem because it just comes off as complaining and i don't think that helps the sport yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as a corollary example, that's exactly what bowling did. So bowling said, okay, fine, you're going to get all these reactive resin bowling balls uh, that make it easy to carry and, uh, you know, shoot 300. Okay, we're going to give you reverse blocks. We're going to put terrible, crazy oil patterns out there to make it super hard. And good luck. Have a nice day. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think, you know, golf can definitely do the same thing and say, hey, you want your, you know, titanium clubs that, you know, allow you to hit the ball 375 yards. We're going to narrow the fairway or, you know, whatever it might be uh, to make it as challenging. So that, that definitely makes, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, so kind of, I think, you know, a little bit shifting gears back to some of the, you know, the career that you've had and the announcing uh, that you've done. So I see that uh, you've done some work for MSG Networks. So is that, are they actually a, uh, a broadcast network? Are they part of uh, Madison Square Garden Group? Are they are their own kind of talent agency? What, what does that look like? And, and how have you worked with them for some of these other roles that you've had? Yeah, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to over talk about like uh, Madison square garden company business and politics, because I really have no idea what goes on behind the scenes, but I'll, I'll tell you that um, Madison square, the Madison square garden company is, has had a, a longstanding stake in, if not full ownership in MSG networks. And, the companies were uh, MS Madison Square Garden did split. It's I believe it's entertainment. It's sort of its sports and entertainment side and its business interests. And I know that the network is actually split from the teams now. So right, Madison Square Garden owns the Knicks and Rangers. Mm-hmm. MSG Networks is actually well, well they still carry the teams. Nothing's changed there. They're they've actually split um, from a business standpoint in terms of the way that the ownership vertical has been set. Now, um, people speculate, you know, what could that mean? Uh, A lot of people think if the Knicks and Rangers were ever to be sold, this allows them to be sold without selling the network and, you know, other properties like Madison Square Garden Company owns Radio City in New York City and the Beacon Theater. And uh, they now have this arena they're building in Vegas and they own the Forum in L.A., uh, but it allows, it separates the two businesses. So I've been working as an, as an independent contractor for, for the network, MSG networks, not directly with the teams, although mm-hmm. the teams that they cover are the Nixon Rangers, which MSG owns. And then, uh, the devil's Islanders, Red Bulls, uh, giants, pregame, postgame, various other connections there. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, you see like a lot of these different groups, uh, and holding companies, um, that, you know, don't just have teams, uh, right. They also own arenas. Uh, they also own media properties. 
uh, and it all just ties together, right? I mean, it just makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you know, the teams need a place to play, which is why they have arenas and stadiums. They need a place to broadcast. So they, you know, have that tie in. Um, I think it just, it just makes a lot of sense, you know, a lot of the way these things are set up. Um, so that, 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 that's pretty interesting. And, and I got to ask too, so we will touch on this at the beginning, but I mean, you know, for example, like in your LinkedIn profile, you have a list of all these different, you know, types of broadcasting companies or, or groups that you've worked for NBA, NBA 2K, uh, Twitch, uh, you know, Harris Blitzer, DraftKings, Muslim Fitness, Penn, et cetera. So, I, I mean, are you kind of bouncing around? Can, could it be from like one day you're working on, you know, uh, for Harris Blitzer, the next day you're doing something for Twitch? Or do you kind of try to segment out your projects and focus on them one at a time? Uh, it just, I mean, it's amazing that you can do all this. It's just that you have a lot going on. So how do you balance all of this stuff from one day or one week to the next? Yeah, well, uh, first thing I'll say is I've had some people come up to me, college kids, and they say, you know, I'm thinking about going into freelance right after college. I think that's a great way to start. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about that because I feel like what I did my first three years out of college working with a with a desk job, I didn't get paid a lot. I didn't do all the stuff that I wanted, but I had some good freedom. And what I was able to do was network nonstop. I mean, in New York City, before this pandemic, I tell people, you could probably find 365 sports networking, sports business networking events a year, and you could go to one almost every day. Um, and so I was able to really connect with a lot of people and lay that groundwork. And, and when I quit my job, I had a lot of people who would say, you know, one day we're going to work together or like, oh, I'd love to work together one day. And I kind of said, all right, everyone put your money where your mouth is now because I'm free, available and not under contract. And, you know, it's the advice that I got was you're going to spend 80% of your time marketing yourself and 20% of your uh, amount of time working. But if you can put that, if you're willing to put that in, you can do as much as you want. You can, you know, there's no cap on how much work you can do and how much you can make. And, you know, you're able to also do a bunch of a, a variety of different things. And and that's the mentality that I took in. I tell people, you know, the, my, the people who gave me that advice didn't factor in the 10% of patience because so many times you're like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do something soon. All right, we'll do something soon. And it just, you keep checking in, keep checking in. But I just love that I've had an opportunity to, uh, in my 20s, pound the pavement, doing a lot of things. And I recognize that 10 years from now, some of the things that I invested myself in, I might not be working in. You know, I might not be doing esports, golf, basketball, football, baseball. I might not be doing it all, but I've put myself at least, I've been able to, see what works and and make connections and build up my brand while I'm still young, don't have a family to support and also have this sort of my floor of how much money I can make is zero, but my ceiling is infinity. Um, Harris Blitzer for, was, you know, something that you brought up, for example. So I did a, a 76ers GC uh, actually against Wizards DG, a, a preseason broadcast for them that was repurposed for linear television, which is really cool. But so that's an example where I dropped in and I did that there. Uh, Muscle and Fitness, a friend, when I first went freelance, you know, recommended me to write an article because they wanted an interview with Lance Thomas, who was an NBA player for the Knicks at the time. Um, he still is an NBA player, but was playing for the Knicks at the time. So I did a Q&A with him. And, I, you know, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of putting on different hats. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, well, what am I, what am I doing today? I have to... You know, I have to deal with my own time management. No one's giving me instructions on what I need to do. And sometimes I have weeks where I got to work 12 to 14 hours. And sometimes I only have two to four hours of work. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of self-motivation is the biggest thing. And it's for a lot of people and it's not for everyone. And there's no shame. I have a lot of people in my life who just want to work for one job and focus on that one thing and have one instruction and one paycheck and that's it. And that might be where I am 10 years from now. But right now, I'm enjoying the fact that I don't have to commit myself to everyone, that I can reach out to everyone without worrying about breaking a contract or anything like that. And I can set my, um, I guess, my uh, my net as wide as possible. So along those lines, I got to ask, what would be your dream, either if not job, your dream announcing gig or opportunity, if you could pick anything. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I look at a lot of these guys out there who, and I used to always say host my own show, but I think that I really do love live sports. And I think that I look at a, a lot of these announcers at places like CBS Sports, NBC Sports, ESPN, Fox Sports, who are able to go seasonal. And they're able to, you know, be doing football every Sunday in the fall. Maybe they contribute to golf if they're at CBS or NBC other points of the year. Uh, maybe they're doing college basketball or the NBA or whatever else that network is covering. You know, I would love to be able to be someone who's uh, doing something like three sports. Um, and and an esport could be one of them. You know, I think that's going to be something that as I pitch myself, to various networks and various entities over the next few years, it's hey, I could do esports for you too. You know, right now I want—I'm not hiding this. I'm—I've been pretty public that I want to do this. Right, PGA Tour 2K just came out. Um, you know, your your buddy Roger, who I've talked to about this, PGA Tour 2K just came out a month or two ago. Uh, I would love to be the esports golf Jim Nance. I've said that publicly. You know, I'm already calling golf. I love the video game. I'm already in the gaming space. Uh, like, I want that to be um, among what I'm doing. And I think that there's, uh, you know, that that's where I, I'm trying. it. The sports generalist world has become a lost art, but I still believe in it. And I still believe that I'll provide something to someone one day where I can say, hey, I can do all of this for you. You know, send me where you need to send me. Right. You could be the uh, NBA 2K Tony Romo. That, well, I, <laughs> I'll i leave that to my buddy Dirk, who, uh, you know, more from a, from an analyst yeah, standpoint. That's true. Yeah, that's more the analyst. Okay, you could be the, you could be the NBA 2K um, uh, Jim Nance, and he, and he can be the uh, NBA 2K Tony Romo. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Kevin Harlan would be the... Uh, oh, the, yeah, uh, he would be good at that. I love uh, Kevin Harlan. He's probably one of my favorite announcers, actually. So, you know, just getting hyped about it. Right. Uh, okay, last question for you uh, before we run, because uh, for the audience, we started a little bit late uh, because I was having microphone issues. Uh, so Jeff has been kind enough to uh, stick with us a little bit longer. Uh, so your Twitter profile has a picture of you and Derek Jeter on a panel or interviewing. Who's been your favorite person in the entire industry to either meet, interview, or talk to Oh man, I get it. I get asked that so many times. Um, no, but, it, but it's not, I wish I had a better answer for you. You know, it's, it's, um, and I try not to be starstruck. You know, I think that's part right. of the reason for it. Um, like, you know, that Derek Jeter talking to Derek Jeter, and that was at a, a much more corporate sort of private event, but that was an incredible, just to talk to him behind the scenes and how he was. And I'll say this about Derek Jeter, cause Derek Jeter gets a lot of, a lot of slack you know, there were no cameras going. It was just me and him. And he uh, kind of picked a conversation with just one of, it was at a hotel, just one of the hotel employees in the room. And I think that that speaks a little bit to, uh, you know, to a guy like Derek Jeter versus some celebrities that I've been with that, you know, don't even look you in the eye. Uh, Shaq is, I, I've interviewed multiple times and he just uh, is as incredible as advertised in that he'll just start joking with you or play jokes on people in the room and get you in on the joke. He's just who like literally that is how he lives his life um so i think he he's been he was an incredible interview um kind of just a funny one is i was at the super bowl one year and buster rhymes and i just like had a rapport going it was uh it was weird and and you just start get guys talking and he's telling me about how he got his name and it had a football tie-in and people he was like no one's asked me that i've been walking around radio row all day and all of a sudden we're having this conversation and he's circling around radio row at the super bowl continuing to give me winks as he walks by and it's like who is that busta rhymes oh wow nice. uh, like you're just a just a weird sort of uh thing that happened and so um I've been lucky enough to have so many interviews with people. Um, you know, Did you meet like Kobe that. before he passed away. I didn't. You know, it was one that I I always I always wished, and and I remember I it was kind of a last minute thing. I would have had to get on the subway and go thirty minutes, and the panel was happening in forty five minutes, and I like didn't go to a Kobe panel about a year or two ago, and and you know now it's like ah, you know I really I really wish I could have done that, um, but. 
I don't know. I, I, like Landon Donovan, for example, was an awesome interview that I had that he kind of hung around and just started talking to me about my my rec soccer career, which was not good, by the way. Like, why is Landon Donovan wasting his time right now talking to me about this? And um, there, there are some, you know, the I, I, my biggest advice to people out there on this is try to train yourself and it was hard at first to not be starstruck by these guys because if you're not starstruck you'll probably end up having a better experience with them if you just try to treat them like human beings especially because most people don't treat them like human beings so uh you know to to have that conversation um always just makes things better yeah i i, I really i i I definitely have not met any of the folks near anywhere near what you've met, but I, I would have to agree with that principle in general. Like you just, you know, they're all human beings. Um, you know, they all, you know, breathe and eat and sleep and talk just like we do. And um, they probably get so tired of the autographs and the photo requests and all that other stuff. If you can just keep it like human to human uh, interaction, you're probably going to be able to strike up much more of a, a cordial, you know, relationship uh, than if you try to, you know, you know, do too much. Um, so that's really good advice. So, you know, Jeff, like I said, I mean, I appreciate you sticking around a little bit uh, longer um, than we had planned. Sorry for the uh, snafus there. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get that corrected for our next pod. Uh, you were awesome. Uh, you talked about a lot of super interesting things. Really appreciate you joining and uh, have an amazing day. Thanks so much. 